This next episode is all about nutrition. It's with Allison Mankowski, who is the current team dietitian nutritionist for Eastern Michigan University Athletics. She is so generous with her time and often comes and speaks in classes with the sport performance students at Eastern Michigan University. And today was one of those days for this episode. I asked her a few different questions about her path to her current profession um, as a dietitian and working with a team. And she talks about some of the other aspects of her job that she does as well. And we hear a lot of her philosophy as a nutrition coach, essentially, and how she encourages athletes and people of any sort of endeavors or ability to look at how they view food and the role of food in their life. Hope you enjoy this episode. Allison is always a treat to talk to. Okay, we are in a class today with Allison Mankowski. She is a registered dietitian with Eastern Strength and Conditioning and her own business. And we're in the class. I'm going to do a kind of Q&A. So if you're listening here later, that's why you might not hear everyone's question all the time, but I'll be sure to repeat them. So anyways, Allison, thanks for coming. And can you start out and just let us know, obviously you're Allison, you're a dietitian, um, but what do you do? What do you do here at Eastern? What does a dietitian do? And then after that, the follow-up, if you want to throw that in there, is what's your path to getting here? Yeah. Where did you go? Where did you start from? Yeah, so... Um, I am the dietitian for Eastern Michigan Athletics, so I work with all of the athletes on campus, um, and I do a lot of stuff with them. So I do team presentations, um, try to get into every team in the beginning of the year if possible, do kind of my general sports nutrition 101 with all of them. I do um, individual counseling with any athletes who may need anything more specific, whether it's weight gain, weight loss, um, wanting to improve their performance through nutrition, um, injuries, illnesses, um, a whole host of things as far as that goes. And then I do all of the planning for our athlete um, fueling stations as well. So we have places on campus where the athletes can come and grab snacks. Both of them are connected to the weight rooms so they can pop in after lifting weights and grab, um, you know, post-lift smoothies or snacks. A lot of them are snacks that they'll take with them, you know, throughout the day. Some of them even use it, you know, we have pancakes and sausages and stuff in there. So they'll use it for like breakfast um, or lunch, you know, depending Um, So I kind of manage that whole thing. I manage all of our, we have a lot of uh, interns who help out. Actually, I've had quite a few from exercise science that have come over. So we have, I manage all of the intern staff for that, set up schedules, you know, that whole piece. And then also the budget and what we're ordering, when we're ordering, placing all of those orders, kind of the inventory piece of it too. So uh, that's kind of the general overview. Obviously, there's a ton of little things kind of that go along with all of that. Um, But that's what I do here. In um, my private practice, I do mostly counseling with either athletes, um, obviously not college at that point, but that'd be like either elite athletes who are kind of continuing on after college or pre-college, so high school, middle school athletes. I do eating disorder recovery is kind of the other big piece of what I do. So a lot of people after they get out of treatment or even as they're kind of just starting down the recovery path, I'll touch um, with them at that point. Um, as well and then I have general kind of you know weight loss is obviously everybody um, Mm -hmm. wants to lose weight so that's kind of a big thing I end up doing a lot of um, weight loss stuff as well with them just kind of general wellness nutrition 
as far as that goes. Cool. So you hit a bunch of different populations. And um, if you had to, just out of curiosity, before we jump in more to your education and path, mm -hmm. the time that you have, is your job here at Eastern, do you consider that full-time? Like, I don't, know, it's, I don't know if it's nine to five. Yeah. Is that like a big chunk of your day? Is it like three-quarter time? And then your private practice, you fill in as you have time? Mm -hmm. Is do you have more, is it like higher volume at certain parts of the year here yeah. at Eastern and lesser other times? Yeah, so I'm actually part-time here. Um, mm -hmm. The way that it works, you know, without obviously getting into all the nitty-gritty details yeah. is I have a set budget of my time for the year. Okay. So I technically run it actually through my private practice, so I'm not an actual Eastern employee. Okay, so you contract. Yeah, so I'm contracted um, with Eastern, and um, basically it works out to be about 28 hours a week. Obviously, like during football season, I'm here at home games. Um, I do help without, with their Sunday night team dinners. Mm -hmm. um, I do all the catering for that. So during football season, I might be here 35 yeah. 40 hours a week. Um, during the summer, things slow down a lot. It might be closer to like 18 to 20 hours a week. Um, but averages, like I said, about to like, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week, depending on the um, time of the year. Um, I actually have another part-time job um, oh, yeah. through, through U of M Health System. Oh, so I work with um, at a, a small health clinic at a middle school. So um, what middle school, Scarlet Middle School. Ooh. Yep. Very so cool. they're an IB school, right? Is yes. that why that you're there? Well, so it's technically so it's called Regional Alliance for Healthy Schools, um, and they're in um, both Ipsy Middle and High, Lincoln Middle and okay. High, um, and then Pathways to Success, which is the alternative um, school. So it's schools that have fifty percent or more of the population at free or reduced um, lunch. So we offer basically free health services. It's a full health clinic with like immunization, sports physicals. I mean, they do everything. Um, there's myself, a social worker, and a nurse practitioner. Wow, um, I had no idea. Yeah, really it's cool. a pretty like small little like thing, um, but I do 20 hours a week there. So okay. those are kind of my two, like between Eastern and there is kind of my full time. And then private practice is, um, when I started was closer to like five to 10 hours a week. Mm -hmm. um, there were some weeks where I didn't have anyone that I was seeing, um, it's kind of just, um, basically what I do for private practice is I office share. So I have a psychologist who um, was, I had kind of been seeing one of her people that she was seeing for eating disorder recovery that I had been referred to from a friend and um, her therapist contacted me and was like, I have more people that I would love to send to you. I was like, well, I don't really have anywhere to see them. This is kind of like a weird, I'm kind of, you know, getting her in um, random places. Um, and she's like, well, I'm not in my office all day Thursday. Would you like to come and use my office on Thursdays? So I basically have free reign of her office on Thursdays. So usually Thursday afternoons to evenings. Like tonight, I'll be there till 8 o'clock at night. Um, so that's kind of... So you see in-person clients yep. there. Yeah, so I see in-person like clients there. Um, and then I partner with a local gym, Four Star, mm -hmm. um, as well. Um, and I'll see people there kind of a few nights or weekends, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, but it's gone from being maybe like zero to five hours a week to now it's probably closer to like 10 hours a week that I'm doing that, which is awesome, but it's definitely kind of getting to the point where I need to make some decisions about... Yeah. You know whether I you're managing a lot. I yeah. didn't know you had the middle school. Yeah, um, and that's a lot. Twenty hours a week is a good chunk of time. Yeah. Um, and that's so. an actual like I'm like show an employee. Yeah. I have to be there during my set schedules. So like, you're like district employee uh, or, through U of or M. I, yep. or through the yep. through U of M health system. Okay. So like paid time off benefits. You know. So that's, that's like good. that's okay. nice, but it's also the least exciting of any of yeah. you know we do great work, but it's. Yeah. The same thing every day it's not the sports and all the other stuff that I'm
kind of more. But that is important because if it is benefit carrying, and when you con like you I like you I forgot that you contracted yeah. for Eastern, mm-hmm. so there is no benefits associated with this. Mm-hmm. Just you're paid for whatever your contract says. And right. same thing when you work with individual clients, it's as they come yeah. or like the partnership with the gym that you work with. It's just as people need you mm-hmm. and sometimes they they'll back off or more people for yeah, sure depending on what's happening so okay so that's you have a lot a lot going on so um what brought you then i guess to this space where mm-hmm. did you start out so take us from like student i was like with strength coaches i say student to strength coach for you it's student to nutrition coach dietitian yeah so i actually um had a brief minute where I wanted to go to med school, um, very brief, and then I got into college and kind of realized that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I was really interested in the human body and how it worked and functioned, um, so I ended up transferring into the School of Kinesiology at U of M um, and did movement science, exercise science, uh, very similar, um, and re- my plan all along was pretty much to go to PT school. That was what I was planning on doing, um, kind of most one of the most popular things most people exercise science do. Mm-hmm. Um, Worked in a clinic summer before my senior year, had all my schools picked out, was ready to apply in the fall, and hated it. Like, was like, this is not what I want to do. Um, kind of had that, like, you know, 22-year-old midlife crisis. Like, what am I doing with my yeah. life after Quarter this? Life crisis. Um, yeah. Yes, exactly. You're um, all going to have it. <laughs> yep. It's, it's pretty Everyone scary. Knows. Yep. Panic for a minute. Um, I had been an athlete, you know, forever. I was an athlete throughout college. Um, knew that, you know, being around athletics and nutrition was something that was always kind of important to me or at least you know towards the end of high school when I figured out it may had an effect on you know my athletic performance um so I ended up talking to the sports dietitian at U of M and um just kind of was like how do you do what you're doing I had never really thought about it as being an actual job you know nutrition was something that like I was always interested in but I didn't think about it as a career path it was just kind of something to you know keep myself performing well um and so I was able to kind of switch. Luckily, exercise science, movement science, and nutrition were pretty closely linked as far as the courses and everything. So I really only needed to add an extra like two classes my senior year. Was able to go to grad school for nutrition in the fall, um, and you know worked out that way. Um, again, I knew kind of sports was what got me into it. But the cool thing about nutrition for me is that I was interested in all aspects of it. Um, you know anything to help help people you know eat well whether it's sports or just for life, um, really kind of resonated with me. Um, my first job was actually in WIC, so I was working with um, women, infants, and children um, who get the supplemental food assistance. Um, so I was doing nutrition counseling with pregnant women, helping them you know, feed their toddlers. Um, I didn't have kids at that point, so I was kind of, it was funny, after I had kids, I was like, oh, I would have probably been better at this job if I knew what it was like to yeah. actually feed kids. But, um, but it was good. I loved doing that. I worked for a... Um, community-based program through the farmer's market doing nutrition counseling there. Um, So I've kind of had a lot of kind of random jobs throughout, but the cool thing is that it all has been fun. Um, So it's cool to find those different areas that you're interested in, even if it's not what, you know, I kind of set out to do. Um, With nutrition, when you went on to do your master's in it, so like here at Eastern, we have a dietetics Mm -hmm. master's. at U of M is the dietitian distinction. Is that always for that master's program that you did or was that what you wanted? Did you go into it knowing, yes, I want the registered dietitian distinction. Um, can you explain what that process is? Maybe yeah. some of the types of courses because I know it's like pretty hefty mm-hmm. in like chemistry, for example. Yeah. And then 
And then go into what's the difference between what you can do as a dietitian and what someone who's certified certified as a nutrition coach yeah. or nutritionist yeah. can do. And how do those differ? Because the process of getting one or the other is quite different. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Um, so at U of M, um, the way that it works, well, for anyone for um, to, to become a dietitian, you have to take, you know, basically the core classes. Um, you know, whatever the list, I don't have it all memorized, obviously, but the core class, um, core classes that you have to take. And then after that, you'll qualify to do the dietetic internship. So from there, it's anywhere from six to 12 months of clinical rotations, basically. So you're shadowing through the hospital, long-term care, kidney, um, food service, you know, community-based. You're kind of shadow and go through and work in that um, field for whatever the six months to a year. And then from there, you can take um, your RD exam. Fun fact, I took my RD exam nine years ago yesterday. So yesterday was my official RD anniversary. uh, anniversary. Um, And then once you sit for your exam, then you're, you know, qualified as a registered dietitian. Um, So at Eastern, for example, they have a coordinated program. So there you take your coursework and your internship at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, That's pretty rare. There's not a lot of those options out there. Most of them are the more traditional Either you get your bachelor's in dietetics or you get your master's in dietetics and you take those core classes and then you go on to do your internship. Mm-hmm. Um, so at U of M, um, it's in the School of Public Health, which is um, kind of, uh, I think there's about half of, like our public health programs. The other half are like master's of science programs. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing for me, knowing I didn't want to work in a hospital, I wasn't Obviously, I, I love the science behind it, but I wanted to get out and do more prevention stuff, not the back half treatment um, piece. Uh, school, school of Public Health was really nice for that because I was able to kind of look at a broader base of you know how nutrition affects the community and how you can prevent you know the issues um, using nutrition rather than you know kind of treating um, once they're already there, which the master's programs tend to kind of focus a little bit more on that piece of it. Um, so, you know, I took coursework. Unfortunately, at the time, they did not have a nutrition department at the School of Public Health. They do now. Um, it started like two or three years ago. Um, so we were actually housed in the um, environmental health um, program, which was a little odd. I had to take classes in like toxicology yeah. and pollution, um, which wasn't quite related. Um, I think it would have made more sense to be in the health behavior, health education. Yeah. Um, but I obviously did not design the program so I you know but um so yeah I took some side classes in that but we got some really good courses in health behavior health health education you know promoting behavior change um motivational interviewing uh Mm -hmm. so we did get some good things in that community nutrition so looking at you know the community as a whole um and then obviously you take clinical nutrition so basically treatment of clinical diseases that's a two semester thing um basically covering every problem that can go wrong in the body and how to you know how to impact that with nutrition um so a lot of a lot of different you know courses basically you know you know, specifying like maternal and child nutrition obesity um and weight loss nutrition so we did have all of those courses as well um they have a much bigger offering now that they have their own department they have a ton of different electives you can take um i know there's one i've talked to a couple of my interns they're doing like a weight bias um course Ooh. which focuses a lot on like you know, our biases around size and weight and all of that um, and how you can be healthy even if you're not, you know, stick thin and how there's Mm -hmm. kind of a broad range of health. Um, So that's a new one I know that they've added that I've heard good things about. 
So that sounds like pretty robust when it comes to the topics and the classes that you've had to take. And obviously mm-hmm. you did a, a bachelor's leading into that yeah. and then that master's program. Yep. So now, and again, from what you know mm-hmm. in the nutrition, in, like I'm going to call it industry because yeah. it is for sure, um, of other distinctions that have mm-hmm. nutrition in the title or in the scope of practice. So what are some of the other titles that yeah. you see, that you hear that maybe are misnomers um, or that you are mistaken for. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about that. Let's dive into that world. Yeah. So it's a really, really tricky field. As you guys know, there like anybody and their mom can be, you know, a nutritionist all the way from somebody who's, you know, selling you pre-workout at GNC mm-hmm. to somebody who has taken actually, you know, maybe a semester long course. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, it, the tricky thing. So in the country, it's kind of um, scattered. There are states that have licensure. Um, for dietitians. So in those states, you cannot dispense nutrition information, meal plans, um, any sort of treatment at all um, if you do not have the RD distinction. Um, Michigan is not one of those states, um, as I'm sure you have probably seen. So um, anybody out there can say, I can give you a meal plan to help your diabetes, or I can give you a meal plan to help you lose weight, um, and there's no kind of repercussions for that. Um, the The biggest kind of distinction and what I kind of try to like explain to people um you know so there's tons of courses that you can take online there's some that are better than others I know precision nutrition is a big one um that one's got some pretty good um background behind it um but you can literally go online and take a you know 30 minute test and then print out a certificate and say that you're a nutrition expert right um I think you guys are all smart enough to know it's pretty hard to be an expert if that's you know what you've done um the thing that I kind of, like I said, try to, you know, put out there with people um, about nutrition and the difference between a nutritionist versus a dietitian is not only, you know, it, it's easy to find nutrition information. We can all go out and type in, you know, whatever search into Google and find a good meal plan for X, Y, Z, right? Or find out what our macros are supposed to be. I mean, that is not, it doesn't take a whole lot of you know, knowledge to figure those pieces out. You could put together a meal plan probably pretty easily with minimal training, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But the bigger piece that uh, I feel like dietitians bring to it is we are are the ones who work with you to figure that out, right? So um, people will be like, well, why do I need to talk to you? I can just find it online. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit with you and figure out, okay, so you found this online. Great, I'm going to do the same thing and punch it in and get the same thing you found online, but I'm going to work with you and find out what are your barriers to following this plan? What um, are the hangups that are making it hard? What's, where are you in your mental space right now that, you know, yeah, you have this plan, but, you know, are you mentally ready to follow this? Or do you have kind of some mental hangups around food that are making it hard for you to, you know, follow this plan? Are you having cravings? And what are those cravings doing to you following this plan? And how do we work through that? Um, how do we set it up to fit your schedule and your food preferences? And, you know, okay, now you're sick of this meal plan. Now what do we do? You know, so um, it's more of I'm, I'm the coach, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to work with you and come at it from all angles and not just the straight, let's punch these numbers in, template. you know, um, we're not robots. We can, you know, the numbers that are used to calculate your calories and your macros were developed for a long, long, long time ago on like old dead white guy cadavers. I mean, that's pretty much what they use to figure that out, um, which no one I'm working with is. So, you know, we're all going to be a little bit different and those just kind of give us a starting point. Um, and where we really come in are being able to pull in, you know, not just 
that you know physical number piece, but the mental piece of it, um, the behavioral piece of it, and kind of making it all kind of fit together and work. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I've seen. So like the term like nutrition coach, for example, like what you a lot of what you just described, like the behavioral side of it, talking about barriers, talking about lifestyle, schedule, the foods that you like to eat. Like I know my teammate, like Caitlin, like she like I feel like she hates everything. Mm-hmm. And like when I talk to her, I'm like, what are you eating? Yeah. Uh, you know, like so then you have people that like just don't like to eat food or they're just not used to eating, or I feel like younger younger athletes, right. like I just mentioned coming out of high school, they're mm-hmm. just not used to that. Um, and that takes time to work through that. And so I know like you've had specific a lot of coursework, like mm-hmm. you've said, in the behavioral sciences, in motivational interviewing, in like listening skills and all of that stuff. And that's something that an online program, I would hope a good one, and like precision nutrition, like you mentioned that one. That I would say that's probably the leader yeah. that we see. Um and if you that is something you are looking to add to your tool belt, um, from like strength and conditioning coaches definitely a leader in the field and those are ones that if I were to hire someone that wasn't a dietitian I would probably look for something like that yeah um but you work you also work with some like pretty serious conditions to individuals who have very real challenges with their relationship with food you mentioned eating disorder eating disorder recovery um and there's like a whole spectrum of what that is and the different distinctions that kind of fall into disordered eating versus their actual clinical definition of eating disorder can you talk about that? Because to me, that's a big difference that I, if I had an athlete that had a pattern of disordered eating or if I was expressing that, I definitely would not send them to just like an internet certified right. coach. Here's a template that, you know, here's your macros, go for it. Like yeah. I wouldn't do that. So can you talk about that side of your work? Yeah, for sure. So um, disordered eating is, a, like you said, a really, really broad spectrum um, and it goes all the way from you know, binge eating, either diagnosed binge eating disorder or people who are having, you know, impulse control, you know, issues when it comes to food, um, all the way down to, you know, anorexia, diagnosed, you know, restriction, um, and everything in between. And there definitely is a very fuzzy line between do you have, you know, a clinical eating disorder where you're going to need to be, you know, inpatient and seeing a doctor and, you know, doing that whole thing, or are we catching it early enough or have you come out of it far enough that we can kind of work on it right here, you know, between us. Um, and it's a lot of just reframing that mental, like I said, mental space around food. Um, you know, the guilt, the good foods versus bad foods. I can't do this. The very rigid rules. I mean, those are some big things that I see a lot. Um, and I know, you know, I kind of, when I talk with other people who are not, you know, dietitians who may be catching these people, because I, I don't see them first, right? They come to yeah. me after somebody has already found the issue. Um, and, a, you know, big things to look at is just kind of, you know, we're getting great at looking at healthy eating, right? And a lot of people understand the importance of eating well, and that's a great thing. Um, but there is a line that can be crossed um, between healthy eating and eating well for performance or eating well for you know general life and getting to the point where it's affecting their daily life. So that's kind yeah. of the thing where if you, you know, that in there. <laughs> yep, if you see that it's like getting to the point where 
they are obsessing about it, right? Like I can't eat this or I can't go out to dinner because there's no food there that I can eat. Um, that's when it's kind of starting to cross that line into it needs yeah. to be examined, um, both probably by myself and a mental health professional. I usually don't work with people unless they're also seeing a mental health professional um, because obviously, like I said, I've trained, I've had a lot of courses in it, but I'm not a social worker. I'm not a psychologist. Um, one of my favorite phrases is, this is a really good thing to talk to your psychologist about. Yeah. Take it and go, you know. Um, we'll turn it around and say, okay, well, how is this thing that we're talking about impacting the goals that we're working on? How is this impacting the food that you're eating? How is this impacting your thoughts and behaviors around food? But this is a deeper thing that you need to go take and work on, you know, with someone else too. So, um, but you guys are going to be the ones who are, you know, if you're working in a strength, you know, training facility or, you know, in any way with um, anyone, you're going to be the ones catching that from the beginning. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be me. So yeah. knowing to see that and being able to pass it on. That's, that's to me, that's like, it's a huge trend. And I even deal with that myself a little bit, like even as an athlete and as a person who likes health and fitness. Mm-hmm. So like we on like being healthy is kind of trendy now, right? Being, you know, strength is new pretty or whatever. That's like a new hashtag. Like all this things are trending now, which is really good. You mentioned mm-hmm. that. Like, yeah. It's positive. Um, there's a, like dieting is already always dieting of going on some sort of restriction or trying a specific path of nutrition plan has been a thing for a long time. I would say for a couple decades in more mainstream, but in fitness, what I see with the rise of social media and this more visual representation of how we can share things. Um, I want, that's something I wanted you to address because the trend is, that I see is like, okay, I'm eating so clean, mm-hmm. like, you know, no mistakes or fall off the wig and fall on the wig and terminology like that. Yeah. Good foods versus bad foods, um, or clean versus dirty, like mm-hmm. using these extreme opposites. And, um, and we know a lot of our physical training is, is somewhat rooted in aesthetic culture and bodybuilding culture. That's just the history of sport and resistance training in the u.s mm-hmm. um and a lot has evolved out of that like strength and conditioning evolved out of that which is great but a lot of our fitness-based nutrition has also evolved out of that very specific aspect mm-hmm. of training and so like like using macro counting for example is major trend right now yeah. in the I would, i'll say in the nutrition plan world yeah. so having you know your major three macronutrients either cus having someone customize what they should be for you you finding your own number on the internet you know a weekend nutrition coach finding numbers for you and you tracking food has always been part of the process mm-hmm. but now there is more advanced ways to do it um general apps like my fitness pal everyone knows what that is yep. and then entrepreneurs are coming up with their own apps so that they can track and connect which is cool which is yep. really great um, but one of the pervasive things I really see is, is like this is an obsession, mm-hmm. I think, with hitting this macro or hitting this number or like, you know, again, could be a good behavior, all of their prep food for the entire week and all the pictures online. That's good. Mm-hmm. But then when that turns into their obsession and that's how they control their life, like, I mean, that's absolutely disordered eating for sure. Yep. Um, Can you address that? Because that is a major trend in just general fitness world and with athletes too. I'd say like all my teammates, that's all everybody talks about (laughs) is like, how are you hitting your macronutrients, that kind of thing. Because we know that it does impact our performance. Right. And that's, I think, what makes it so tricky is it, it is a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, where do you find that line? Um, but, you know, people always ask me, like, what's the 
best diet to follow or what's the, you know, and really the best diet is one that you can stick with forever, right? You don't want to do, obviously there are certain cases if somebody's trying to lose a lot of weight, you may have to be, mm-hmm. yeah, you do have to be a little bit stricter at, at that point for a short period of time. But in general, the best is one that people can follow forever. You cannot meal prep every single week for the rest of your life, right? You cannot avoid sugar every single week for the rest of your life. That's just not, that's not a feasible way to do it. You can do it for a short period of time, but it's not a long-term thing. So what is long-term is being able to have like a day where you don't track. Okay, this is a day I'm going to a Super Bowl party and I am not going to track the food at this Super Bowl party because I'm just going to eat it and enjoy myself and have a good time with people. Um, or, you know, it's my daughter's birthday and I'm going to have a piece of her birthday cake because I'm not going to be sitting there and not having a piece of this cake. You know, what is, and you know, that brings up a whole nother thing about teaching, you know, the young ones yeah, what's probably. important, but, um, but that has to be okay. And it can't be, it can't be this like guilt ridden, like, oh my God, I just have this piece of cake. What am I going to do? Okay. I got to work out more. Okay. I'm going to eat less tomorrow. It's all part of balance, right? So it's yeah. finding that, being able to find that balance and knowing that, yeah, it's great. You know, I meal prep 90% of the time. That's great. It's wonderful. It helps me, you know, hit what I want to hit and helps me perform well. But there's going to be weeks that it's too busy and I don't. And maybe I have some backup options, you know. Um, and being able to have that flexibility and not beating yourself up over it is kind of the the route that I try to steer people towards most of the time. You mentioned, like, backup op- option is, like, that's a strategy that, like, what you're trying to do. So, mm-hmm. like, that coaching role is say you're putting someone on a nutrition plan mm-hmm. and say maybe it is tracking and it's hitting certain numbers or certain macros, maybe you have certain micronutrients too that they're mm-hmm. supposed to be hitting as well. And then, but that's also part of it. It's looking at, all right, here's your barriers this week. We have finals coming up. So like right. everyone knows like everything pretty much goes to shit during finals. Everyone sleeps pretty crappy. I'm the same. I'm like garbage mm-hmm. right now yep. <laughs> with sleep and all those other things. Um, but like, planning for those backup options so like okay if you do have to hit up fast food if you do have to hit up convenience food what are what's on your go-to list of things where it's like a friend of mine was saying she's like it was like fast food or no food and I had to decide like should I eat this fast food she's out in the like kind of in the boonies somewhere or do I just not eat what is better for me yeah you know um and so it's talking about decisions like that and helping people navigate that and giving them actual strategies that they feel they can actually do and that's exactly. one of the things I, I know you've done with people that I know yeah um that are are really really helpful and I think one of like we talked about like mind body sport performance like recently in terms of the physical training and I like how you mentioned a mental health professional mm-hmm. it's if we think of especially an athlete who has like very specific goals or if we think of a general population person very specific goals maybe it is weight loss or maybe it is to you know reduce their pre-diabetes something like that um it's more than just the personal trainer like we always say to i like how you said the best diet or nutrition plan is the one that like you actually stick to it's the same thing in physical training everyone's like oh what's the best exercise to do well it's the one that you actually show up and do right um over time and so interesting how those parallels work or like same thing with mental coaching oh what's the best like mindful activity you can do well it's the one you do so Mm -hmm. if showing up to yoga is what works for you cool if it's listening to relaxing music at the end of the night that works for you if it's meditating 
do that. And so the, all of these parallel paths work together and like, and also including a mental health specialist because there's so much psychology in the behaviors that we Mm -hmm. need to exhibit. If we need to initiate new behaviors into like a new eating plan, or if it is doing some restriction or is it, or if it is being more intuitive with our eating, well, what Mm -hmm. does it mean to be an intuitive if your entire athlete life has been counting every single calorie and more so because that's what society also tells us is to count every single calorie like so much messaging and so many very big commercial plans are like that too so if you need to basically relearn or create a new relationship food that's a really challenging thing and that's even though you have training in that that still goes even beyond scope of practice for you because that relates to guilt, it relates to control, it relates to, I mean, really anything that, that we have issues with in other parts of our yeah. life, too. Yeah. So, okay. Um, I want to talk about nassing and losing or cutting weight, mm-hmm. because those are big buzzwords that we see in both sport performance for certain types of athletes, certain sport needs. We also see that in like an aesthetic type of training, like mm-hmm. bodybuilding, like there's massing that has to happen. And then we don't see massing, well, I shouldn't say we don't see massing, we do see massing in general population because society has these kind of archetypes of right. here's what dudes should look like mm-hmm. according to the genders, here's what women should look like. And it kind of changes in different generations, yeah. but since even ancient times, it's kind of persisted in these masculine and feminine type of roles. So I know with general populations, people are going to come like, all right, I want to get lean and toned, but not this. And I want to get bulky and big. And yep. how do you work with people in that when they want to go kind of one direction mass, if they want to go down and cut, how yeah. do you handle that? So a big thing, again, like I mentioned earlier, when you have these very specific goals, especially if they're bigger goals, you know, not just five, 10 pounds. Um, you do have to be a little bit strict, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, there is going to be kind of a set plan, so to speak, that you're going to have to follow, um, for, you know, any sort of bulking or massing. Um, it's going to be eating all the time, way more than you actually want to be eating. Um, usually the easiest way for people to do it is to be eating consistently throughout the day. I find that, that just performance wise, you know, mental wise, that feels a lot better than sitting down to eat this like thousand calorie dinner. You know, um, a lot of time we'll use liquid calories because it's a lot easier to drink things than it is to eat it. So making, you know, a pretty substantial shake at the end of the night is usually one of my favorite tools to use, um, with that. Um, but it's finding kind of the quality foods, right? So, you know, minimal processed, obviously not, loading up on a bunch of, you know, junk food, mm-hmm. um, but finding the quality calories that are, you know, quality foods that are higher in calorie in a smaller package. Um, so a lot of fats are usually really good for that using nuts and peanut butter. I've had athletes at Eastern carry around like a jar of peanut butter in their mm-hmm. bag and just a spoon and they'll just like every like half an hour, take a couple spoonfuls of peanut butter. Yeah. Um, I'm an athlete who always has like a little cup of peanut butter yep. pretzels and eats it in class. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, you know, finding ways to kind of fit things in wherever we can for that tends to work best. Um, when people are cutting, um, that one is tricky because you really have to like be really mindful of the mental space around it, right? So I do a lot of talking with them about, yes, we do have to be a little bit more restrictive, but I want you to remember that this is short term Mm -hmm. because once we get to that point, we're going to add stuff back in and you're not going to have to be as restrictive and you're going to have more flexibility. And even in any sort of a cut, 
there's still going to be treats fit into there, right? Like it's not going to be no chocolate for the next three months until, you know, you hit this point, right? Um, we're going to find ways to like, okay, one or two days a week, I want you to find a way to work in those treats that you're craving because um, that helps them stick with it um, longer term. I've had people swing back and forth um, between being, I would say, so good and then completely bombing, right? So they'll be like, oh, but I was so good all day, and then I got home, and I just couldn't stop eating. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that's because you were being too good, right? We need to find ways to kind of add things back in. So we really try to keep it consistent so that it's able to, you know, they're able to stick with it Mm long-term or as long-term as they need to. Thoughts on that? Because to me, that brings up kind of what we talked about before with the relationship with food. Mm -hmm. So again, a lot of the messaging is like, 100% 100% clean, got to be clean. There's a lot of perfectionist types of mindset across the board in life right now. Um, and then it's the fall off the wagon, back on the mm-hmm. wagon. But in this situation, in that cut, and like again, it's more like weight class sports yeah. where they're like cutting for a season or for a certain competition. Mm-hmm. And then they'll go back to more of like a manageable weight. Yeah. That is different than like someone who wants to like lose 40 pounds. Yeah. But even then, like even in a weight loss situation, if it's general population, mm-hmm. Once they get to a weight that we feel comfortable with, they will still be able to add stuff mm-hmm. back in because they'll be in a maintenance, you know, phase. No, um, so, mm-hmm. you know, they will definitely be able to adjust back to a, a more normal, a new normal lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they won't be able to go back to where they were when they were 40 pounds heavier, but um, we can at least loosen up a little bit um, at that point too. Tell me about, so say, let's start with massing. So an athlete that wants to or needs to or a person who wants to gain some size, what are some of the typical issues that you deal with? You, I know you mentioned getting enough calories in. What are some of the questions that are in the things that are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I had to do all this. What some are some of the typical responses or issues you have to work with in those settings? Yeah, massing? I mean, a lot of times, I've, I feel like it's more especially in athletic or very, you know, people who are very physically conscious, I guess, um, they're eating way less than they should to begin with. That's probably a, you know, more common thing than eating way too much or eating, you know, enough. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of people are like, I just didn't realize I needed to eat the amount that I need to eat. Um, and then the other, another big one is protein. Um, I always get like, okay, so I should add like three protein shakes a day. (laughs) No, let's not do that. Um, you know, definitely it can be a helpful tool because like I said, drinking calories are way easier than adding, you know, um, actual physical calories, but we're going to, you know, maybe do one protein shake with some extra carbs added in, um, because definitely finding that balance is really important. Um, and people tend to overemphasize, I think, especially with any kind of bulking or massing, um, the protein piece gets why way do they just automatically why do you think they just like, okay, I need to do three protein shakes a day because yeah. I want to put muscle on? Why where is that from? So I mean, you know, protein is made of or muscles made of protein, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it makes sense in their head, you know, that if I want more muscles, I need more protein because that's what muscles are made out of. Um, but that's not the way the body works, right? So we need, you know, all of the, you know, um, macronutrients to be able to add that in. So really simplistic view, I think of it. And like general population, like I think general fitness people are like, all right, I want to get big. I want to get huge. I'm going to buy this, the best protein powder Mm -hmm. out there and it's going to make me get huge. That's what some claims products do. And it's, it's just, it's oversimplifying Mm -hmm. a situation that's a little bit more complicated and it is quite individual too for Mm -hmm. individual bodies. How about in cutting? So athletes, 
let's stick to athletes who are trying to go down either in weight for a weight class or for a particular sport demand that they have or a seasonal cut, something that isn't going to necessarily be long-term. Tell us some of the big issues that you have with that. Yeah, I think a big thing is... Um, the, I think the mental piece is just hard with that, right? Um, so being able to, you know, kind of manage that guilt that comes with it, um, you know, whether they do, you know, want to go out with friends or just kind of the lifestyle of it is a lot harder. Um, so living a normal life while trying to drop a bunch of weight can be really hard, right? Because um, yeah. you do have to be more conscious and more, you know, paying attention to what you're putting in. Um, so really it's like a lot of working with, okay, I don't want you to not go out with your friends. You know, they're going out to taco Tuesday, but let's talk about what can you get that's going to help. You can still go out and enjoy the social aspect of it. But, um, you know, so I think that's a big thing is just finding ways to fit any sort of cutting or weight loss into a normal lifestyle. Because once you start cutting off that piece, Mm -hmm. it gets really hard and pretty miserable to, to stick with it. So Um, And then managing the hunger too, you know, obviously um, making sure that, you know, we're getting what they need throughout the day. And again, it kind of ends up being the same thing. I'm a really, I know intermittent fasting has, you know, some research on it, but I find it's much easier for most people if they are eating consistently throughout the day. So it might even be going from eating, you know, three meals a day to moving it to being like six small meals a day. So we're still, you know, decreasing the calories, but they're able to eat consistently, um, because the you know that just can really throw off like cravings and everything. Yeah, I I can speak to that because I cut a little bit of weight when I compete, and that does help me with my overall calories are down. Mm-hmm. Certain macros are adjusted a little lower, um, but if I am, am putting things in my, it's like it's just like the it's a behavioral mm-hmm. thing. It's like okay, I feel like I'm eating something, and it's like maybe pretty dense, nutrient packed kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but it's a small amount. Right. Right. But it feels better than just not eating. Yeah. So, um, and then how about just a general weight loss? Someone that is going for more of a long, mm-hmm. long term gig, maybe general population kind of person. Yeah. The everyday who person who's getting all of the messages from everything that's around there. They're consuming all of that, and then they're also getting your messaging. Yeah. How do you help them balance what you're telling them versus all the stuff they're else. hearing from the internet, from their friends? So oh, I tried this diet. I yeah. did this. I did keto. How does that work? So the number one thing is I always try to kind of meet them where they're at, right? So I've had people come to me and been like, I've been following keto and I've lost a bunch of weight, but like the weight loss has stopped. What do I do? You know, first of all, you always want to kind of praise anything that they've done in the past, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm never going to like say, yep, let's do keto. That's like the best option. But if somebody's already done it, like it can be successful, right? But let's find a way to move that into, again, that long-term, what you can do for the rest of your life sort of thing. Um, And, you know, really it's just all about balance because if you're going to do this forever, you need something that you can stick with. I'm a huge fan of intuitive eating. That's something that I work with almost everyone. And what that basically means, if you haven't heard of it, is just kind of on listening to what your body is telling you. So eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full. Sounds very basic, but it's much harder than those simple words. Um, it's something that takes a lot of practice to really understand where is that line between comfortable and full, and how do I stop at that comfortable point before I get to the full point, and how do I eat when I am just starting to feel hungry instead of waiting till I'm starving. Um, so I do a lot, a lot of training. Obviously, you know, there tends to be some sort of tracking and some sort of macros in there a lot of times, but that's going to depend. You know, if I have someone who has a ton of things that we can adjust and they're eating lower quality foods majority of the time, their eating schedule is way off, their quantities are way off, we're going to start with those first before we even go into 
any sort of a meal plan. That's usually like a later step down the road um, yeah. because a lot of times it's easier to kind of make small changes um, in their behavior. Um, just like with anything else, if you throw a whole new game plan at them, that's yeah. pretty impossible, right? But if I say, okay, you're not eating breakfast, you're eating you know, fast food for lunch and you're eating a giant dinner, let's rework some of this, let's add in a small breakfast, I want you to start bringing something with you for lunch and then I want you to decrease your dinner by a quarter of what you're currently eating. Mm-hmm. We'll start there. And then the next time I see them, that's when we can say, okay, now let's make your breakfast a little bit higher quality. Let's, you know, cut your dinner down a little bit more. Let's adjust, you know, what you're eating there. And it's very small steps um, to get to them. Then maybe like a month or two down the road, we might say, okay, you've got all these points now. Now let's maybe introduce, you know, if the weight loss is kind of stalled or now maybe we can introduce some sort of a tracking or, you know, a more of a meal plan type thing. There's people that I never even do that with because we're able to adjust, you know, smaller things first. So one of the things with intuitive eating, I think a lot of people will use the term. Can you tell us what exists from an evidence-based practice with, with intuitive eating? Because I have not looked up anything evidence-based yet it's more just more of like testing it out Mm -hmm. for myself hearing other people talk about it hearing instagrammers talk about it when they're trying to look like they're not trying to be in total control of their life so they'll throw that other i'm eating intuitive with the donut picture yeah (laughs) um tell us where where is that based out of because to me intuitive eating is mindfulness that's we've talked about mindfulness in this class Mm -hmm. and like it's being aware where you are in that moment what are your situations, your choices, your options, right. like what your signals from the body, that right. kind of stuff. So tell us where does that come from? Yes. Yeah. So, so biologically, we're all born with the ability to eat intuitively, right? Mm-hmm. So hunger cues, you know, are basically hormones that go from your stomach when it's empty and say, feed me, I'm empty. And then go from your stomach when it's full and say, feed me, I'm full. Um, if anybody's been around kids, you know, like mm-hmm. you cannot force feed a toddler, right? If they are full, they are not going to eat any more than they want. Um, also, if they're hungry, they are going to tell you they're hungry. They're not going to ignore it because they're too busy playing. Right. Um, so we're all born with that ability. Over time, basically what happens is our bodies, you know, stop doing that because we get busy and we forget to pack a snack. And so we're running around so we don't eat when we're hungry or we're, you know, lazy and we don't eat breakfast or we're trying to lose weight. So we cut, you know, way more than we should um, in terms of calories. Or, you know, vice versa, we're at a potluck and we eat way more than we should because it tastes really good. Um, So we kind of over time learn to ignore these hunger cues. Um, That's not the way the body was designed to work. The body is very smart. It will tell us, you know, what we need to do to fuel it. Um, And so after, you know, time, basically the body likes to save energy. So it's like you're not listening to these things I'm telling you. So I'm turning it off. Like I'm not going to waste energy sending you those hormones. Um, and it's basically going, it's going against what the body was designed to do, right? Um, so if you can kind of start tapping back into using those hunger cues, um, you're really fueling the way, the body, the way that it was designed. You're not kind of beating, you know, against this kind of trying to fit a, you know, square peg into a round hole, right? Um, it kind of fits seamlessly and the body can be really, really smart in, you know, I've had people be like, okay, well, I went a little harder on my workout yesterday and I noticed that today I'm hungrier. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's smart, that's the body trying to tell you, you know, I need a little bit of extra, you know, energy. So um, so there is a biological basis behind it. Anybody notice that certain types of movements, you do certain workouts, you're like, oh my gosh, I need two dinners tonight because like one is just not gonna do this. Anybody experienced that before? There's certainly, I always know if I squat really heavy, Mm -hmm. like fair amount of volume, 
it's like the hunger gate are like open for yep. like a big span of time and even into the next mm-hmm. day it's it's like this desire to like eat more food is there and it's not just out of like oh this looks this treat looks right. good but it's it's interesting like mm-hmm. how paying attention to that works and so that's that's why that's also why I, intuitive eating I think is a really great way to train people to kind of tap back into those hormonal cues yep. and train the body to do that and that's why I like even just doing mindfulness in general maybe not even in relation to eating mm-hmm. um, helps sharpen that ability if you do want to then tap into intuitive eating like they've already have a mindful practice maybe in some simpler less complicated maybe less like psychologically involved areas of right. their life um, and so that's why I think that can be a really really helpful thing um, it just helps better that relationship that people have with food. Um, I want you, can you comment on reverse dieting? That's, I got a couple of like trend words I put yeah. down um, of things that I'm seeing and a lot more of just like the general blogs and the articles and the nutrition coaches, just the people that do nutrition coaching that aren't at RD but that I follow that yeah. have interesting information or on podcasts. Um, explain what reverse dieting is. Yeah, so basically what that concept is, is that um, you've basically been under fueling and it, you know, with weight loss, a lot of times, you know, people will kind of hit this plateau and it just kind of stops. Right. Mm-hmm. So basically simple terms, reverse dialing is adding calories back in. Um, and then you kind of slowly start cutting them again, but by re adding calories back in, you'll a lot of times see the weight loss start coming again. And the funny thing is even before this was like a, a buzz thing or a thing that started popping out, I, kind of was doing it because I'd meet with athletes and like I said so many people are not eating enough calories to fuel what they're doing and they'd be like I'm trying to lose weight and I'm eating breakfast and and then I eat dinner and I'm like oh okay no let's fix it and even just from a sense of like okay performance wise you're not doing what you need and we'd add like lunch and a snack back in and they're like I'm trying to lose weight why are you making me eat more food and I'm like just trust me I promise I promise this works and honestly like 95% of the time we do that all of a sudden the weight just starts coming off. And then I finally like remember seeing some stuff on it. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Like that's yeah. what, you know, um, it just kind of, it, it makes sense. Um, and as far as like kind of getting the metabolism, the body kind of working again, basically what I see a lot of times is that it kind of, the body's like, I can't let anything else go, right? I'm not getting enough to fuel what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of always equate it to like, if you have a job and you're making a lot of money, you can pay your bills and you can go to the mall and buy new shoes. But if you lose your job, mm-hmm. any money that comes in, you got to save that to pay your bills, right? Mm-hmm. Your body kind of does the same thing. When your body is not getting enough energy in, it's got to pay your bills first. And that's your heart and your lungs and your brain and your digestive system. And all of that takes priority before it can kind of let any extra go. Um, so that's usually kind of the, the easiest way to kind of think about it. But um, I have found, you know, really good success with kind of adding. And then, you know, like I said, a lot of times you do kind of slowly start decreasing it again at that point. But um, it seems backwards. But Yeah, that's with the, like, calories. I see, like, a lot of people argue, like, is it really calories in, calories out? Can you, I guess, address that? Yeah. So, like, for weight loss, for example, like, it's energy expenditure versus energy consumption. Makes sense. Science pretty much supports that but then you also hear people talk about well it's not about your number of calories it's about the quality of your food is it one or the other is it calories is it quality is it both how do you address that with people that come in with one type of mindset Mm -hmm. like I need to cut my calories and that's all they've heard 
or they're in the mindset, it's clean, it's quality, it's all these great foods I'm eating, right. but then maybe their calories are very low or very high. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think part of, you know, part of it is calories in and calories out. The hard piece with that is the science behind calories is not accurate at all. Um, again, what I was talked about talked about earlier in calculating, you know, your calories and your macros, that's a bunch of formulas that was developed, whatever, a long time ago. We're not robots, right? So that piece sometimes can be off. And then I've even seen research on, you know, where they've taken like an apple and tested it three different ways and found the amount of calories in that apple were this, you know, 20, 30 calorie span, depending on how you test it, depending on the size of the apple, you know. And so when we say an apple is 80 calories, well, is it 80 calories? Is it 100 calories? Is it 50 calories? You know, and I mean, over time, that can make a big difference. So if you're counting your calories, you know, you could be hundreds of calories off on what you're actually consuming. You know, so it is calories in, calories out, science-wise. Yes, that makes sense. But there's so many other variables as far as the accuracy of that that comes in. Are you measuring it exactly right? Is it, you know... A lot of, like, user error. Yes, exactly. So that piece just kind of makes that tricky. Um, So I always say the calories in, calories out is a starting point. We can get, okay, you should be eating around this number of calories to lose or gain weight, right? But then from there, we work with it. If that's not working, obviously it's not working. So we add or we just, you know... Um, take it take some down um, but then obviously the quality is important and that's important not just in the weight control piece but quality of performance quality of you know health um, you know the macro the macronutrients are important but the micronutrients are also how many vitamins and minerals are you getting enough fiber um, you know what other stuff is in the food that is coming in and impacting your body if there's a lot of processing being done to the foods um, so that you know that piece is also important and then when are you eating right and that also is another big piece that we look at is um, like I said I'm my school of thought is eating consistently throughout the day I've just found more success with that um, for people Um, not just again like on a straight physiological point but on a mental side I find it's much easier for people to stick with that they tend to make better choices when they're eating consistently throughout the day because you're not starving and coming home and grabbing whatever you can grab while you're snacking Um, so you know I think those are the you know, not just how much you're eating as far as calories, what you're eating, but then when you're eating is the other piece that we'll really kind of look at and try to manage. Mm-hmm. I well. think those three things, the calorie number um, and changing that, the quality of the food and changing that, and then the timing of the food, those are often like the three big questions I get if I am just have like a client yep. that's not nutrition, but like they're exercising, then they'll, those are always the questions mm-hmm. that they ask. Like, should I do intermittent fasting? Should I not eat breakfast versus, you know, like... The FDA's like, you know, food plate pyramids, all the right. stuff we've had over the years, and blah blah blah. Should we actually listen to that? Should we not listen to that? Who informs that information? Um, so, can you address now? Like, this is multifacets. It's a very holistic approach: mind, food quality, amount of food, mm-hmm. timing, habits, all that kind of stuff that goes into working with the client. But when you have a client, I'm probably less athlete, probably more general population mm-hmm. person. Who's like, well, but just like give me my numbers or like just give me a food plan. That's one of yep. the things that like I've asked and I always say I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a dietitian, and everyone wants like give me the exact list of everything I'm supposed to eat or yeah. give me like templates are super hot right now. Yep. Everyone's selling a template on the internet right now. Um, and 
some are better than others. Some actually have like really good suggestions of food. Mm-hmm. Some are like literally the exact template that they just reproduce for every yep. single person yep. that's in a category. Um, so how do you address when the person just wants like, just tell me everything I need to do, give me a template, give me a number, and they aren't ready or don't know to dial into all these other things or they're not willing basically not right maybe not willing to put the time and patience into looking at other aspects um what's really funny about that is I was literally like half an hour before I came here like browsing through my nutrition entrepreneur like Facebook group Mm -hmm. and that was like the question that popped up is like how do you respond when someone says just tell me what to eat yeah so it's really funny that you asked that because I was just reading what other people do too everyone I know that's that's not general population says that yep um and again it comes back to the longevity right like I want to teach you how to do this and I can't give you a template because I don't I mean I can but we can start there but like mm-hmm. that's not going to be it that's not going to be the end of the road you're not going to be able to just follow this template and go and be set for you know until you reach your goals so um you know that's kind of the big thing is like you need to learn how to do this and you need to we also need to adjust because a template is I have no way of knowing whether this template is the end all be all for you, right? And we're not going to know until we do it for a week or two. It's silly. Um, and you can't follow a template every single day for the rest of your life. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of pulling both of those pieces in. And I usually tell them, like, you have enough other little stuff to work on. Let's work on this little stuff first because following a template is a pain in the ass. Like, mm-hmm. nobody wants to measure their food and get this exact, and it's boring and it, you know, you get sick of it. So, you know, usually I'll try to say, like, that's something we can look into later, but let's see if we can tweak some things here, because if we can tweak some things in what you're already doing, that's way easier for all of us, right? Um, it's not wasting your time, it's not wasting my time. Um, so, usually I'll try to dissuade that, and sometimes we do it, do it, do do it, but um, like I said, it's going to be part of the process and not the, like, end-all be-all. Mm-hmm. I tend to notice a glorification of the rigidity method of like okay a new client comes in for fitness for performance they want a nutrition plan because then they can start posting about these are my macros here's Mm -hmm. my food prep here's my template i'm following but then when you go a more intuitive approach you work on all the behavioral things no one wants to post about that yeah you know it's not as pretty it doesn't like take a picture as well as you know i almost like come to start thinking like should we be like if that's the culture they're in and if that's going to be a hard habit to break should we say hey we're working on this habit of like being proud of eating consistently throughout the day like Post about that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Versus just like this, like really tiny little dinner that you had because that's what other people are posting. Right. Um, That's to me. That's a common thing that you all will see. You will just see. Give me a meal plan. I want. Other people are selling that. Um, Gyms you're going to intern at. You're going to work at. That might be the approach that they're going. Of like, here's this meal plan. Here's a track. You people go on it. Or like challenges are really popular um, yeah. as well with movement and nutrition often are tied into them. And a lot of times it's it's like a very specific, often a restrictive type of meal plan or restrictive diet plan that's being followed. And so that's glorified. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's part of the psychology that we have to work on too. Is, is it just glorification for instant success or Insta success, like Instagram style success? Yeah. To me, those are some of our issues. Um, can you comment on maybe, I guess I have three other things written down, um, keto, that's probably the number one mm-hmm. like general population now, yep. fad, yep. maybe fat. it's not a fad, it's been around for a long, long, yeah, very long time, and there's evidence on it in certain populations, but 
like I mentioned before you came in like when I go to Kroger and I look at like cracker boxes and like those middle aisles and it's like keto friendly I'm like oh here we go yeah, like, it's, now it's, it's gonna the be a new label stage. it's yep. big stage now when it's on labels of just regular food right. can you address maybe like if someone asks us as a personal trainer, as a strength coach, as an intern, like, oh, I want to try keto, how, what's the best thing that we can say to help direct them on a good path of approaching this thing that they heard about that right. some people have really good success on? Um, so the hard thing, you know, I think, again, like I said, kind of recognizing, like, yes, it can be successful. We, I mean, because the second you deny that, they're like, oh, they're just, you know, they're just they anti, don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it can be successful. But it's hard, and that's something that I always point out because to follow keto successfully, you have to be very strict. There's no half-ass keto. I mean, there is, but, like, but it's not what, keto. That's what most people <laughs> you know? feel. It's just, like, a lot of avocados and bacon. Exactly. On <laughs> like, and that's not, that's not going to work, right? Yeah. That's not the point. Um, to be in ketosis, um, you have to follow this very strictly. Um, you're going to feel like complete crap for at least a week, if not longer. Um, like I'm talking, like feel like you have the flu. Um, and you know, again, yes, it will work, but are you going to do this for the rest of your life? Um, because a lot of times what happens is people will lose a lot of weight on it. And the second they go back to not keto, that weight comes back on. Um, and that's not, again, what most people want, right? So it's like any other diet that's ever been yeah, out there in exactly. marketing. And, I mean, the hard piece is, too, that, yes, it's been around for a long time, but it's been around in a very specific population. So it was designed to be used basically in kids with epilepsy. And that's where there is some really good success, and that is a, for the rest of their life, they need to eat keto because it keeps them from having seizures. Um, so that is a very specific medical population that it works well in. Um, but there's not a lot of kind of long-term research in the general population starting this as an adult and that kind of thing. So... You know, are we do, do we know what this high level of fat, low level of carb is doing to our bodies for the rest of our lives? Do we know what, you know, being in ketoacidosis, you know, long term is going to do to our bodies? So um, some of that is just kind of tricky. Most general people are not going to care so much about that. But just, you know, on, on your back end to know that we don't know what that looks like. But usually I just try to tell them, like, you know, there's there's other ways to do this successfully. If you do want to try it, I would recommend getting someone to help you in that process. Um, but just kind of making sure they know that, one, it's really hard to do right, and it's you know going to hamper your lifestyle, and it's really hard to do kind of long-term. Um, usually is enough to kind of dissuade them to try something else. But I usually direct people to – I have a couple of people that, I, that are just kind of general. I follow, but follow it pretty strictly and measure ketones mm-hmm. to, to the point.